right. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Mentally Unscripted. This is Paul. I'm here with Scott. Scott, how are you? I'm good. I'm really good. Uh, we had a nice trip to Los Angeles last weekend to visit the in-laws and had a good time. Got to go see a Dodgers game and they lost. And, you know, my father-in-law, I guess he's not technically my father-in-law since my girlfriend and I aren't married yet, but, you know, uh, been 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 around long enough to think of him as a father-in-law. He's a big Dodgers fan. Oh. Um, and I grew up not being a Dodgers fan. So, uh, yeah. So you were happy and he was sad? <laughs> I was kind of rooting for the Giants, um, but uh, yeah, but it was a fun day. I'd never is, been to Dodger Stadium before, so uh, it was a nice first. Okay. Now, so, so as someone who doesn't follow baseball at all, is there a rivalry? I mean, both being California teams? I, I think there is. Um, and I, I, if I remember correctly, some of the incidents with fans being attacked at Dodger Stadium were Giants fans. Um, oh, okay. And I may not be remembering that 100% correct, but there were an awful lot of Giants fans there. Um, they were definitely oh, right. being very vocal, so it was it was a good time. It's always fun yeah. to go to a, a baseball stadium that you know you're not used to going to. So, sure. Well, and was this? I mean, we're 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 moving on from COVID. Was the stadium full? Did they still have restrictions on where everyone could sit and how they yeah you know, so how to operate? It was still restricted, and you were technically supposed to have your mask on at all times, except when you're eating or drinking. But I did notice that a lot of people in the stands. Um, they had their masks pulled down um, for most of the game and it was pretty warm. um, So I imagine, you know, for a lot of people it was getting, it gets a little hard to breathe when the air gets warm. It does. Um, Yeah. yeah. And then um, they had the seats around you were taped off. So you were basically, I guess, six feet away from the next group. So all the groups. Oh, okay. Interesting. And I I think, I think my father-in-law's had said about 15,000 people, um, or they had sold about 15,000 tickets for the game. So yeah. I don't know if that's a cap or what, but uh, sure. given that it's a Sunday in LA, I'd imagine they could have sold more tickets if they wanted to. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm laughing. I'm thinking about all the people with their masks down. They're thinking, well, I read the emails from Fauci. I, I know what's up. I, I don't need yeah. to be wearing this outside. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah I, it was, it was pretty interesting. Um, I, most people, when they were up away from their seats, were wearing their masks. Yeah. Um, but when they were at their seats, yeah, uh, I would say probably over half the people had their masks pulled down. Right, right. Well, and, and you have to imagine, I, I don't know what the numbers are now. I thought California compliance with vaccination was was pretty high, but maybe I'm, uh, I, I don't know the latest numbers. So. Yeah, I'm, I'm not sure. And I know they're supposed to be revisiting their mask rules here um, in about the middle of June. So th- things may change. Yeah, they may change. Um, but when we were outside walking around, there weren't there were, there were some people wearing masks outside, not many. Right. Um, but then when right. you went into the restaurants or whatnot, you had to put your masks on. Sure. Yeah. Well, I, you know, I was in Nevada, came through, um, Idaho and then up to, um, to Montana. I finally, I finally finished the big move, if you will. And, um, it, that was one of the things that was very different all of a sudden was the fact that everywhere I went, people suddenly didn't have their masks on. Uh, and the signage demanding that you had a mask on has, has vanished overnight. And, uh, it's, it's, it's a little bizarre. I mean, I, I can say psychologically speaking, when you're so accustomed to seeing everybody wearing masks and all of a sudden, almost no one's wearing masks. Uh, there's a bit of, bit of a, a shock or a bit of a surprise. Yeah. Yeah. It's, um, a, bit jarring. Yeah, it's a bit jarring, uh, and change, but, uh, you know, we're also heading into summer. People want to get out. Uh, I think, I think they're kind of at that fatigue moment where even if the government wasn't saying, you know, things are changing, uh, they wouldn't care. <laughs> I think right, that's yeah. kind of the, the sense I get from a lot of people. Yeah. But, uh, uh, yeah. Yeah. Here in Colorado, um, it, it, the mask mandates have been dropped, um, yep. at least for vaccinated people, but I have not been anywhere where they are actually checking to see if you've been vaccinated. So right. I think for all intents and purposes, it's, effectively been dropped it's effectively, um, yeah but, yeah but there there's still there's still places around that are requiring masks and there's still customers a lot of people out in the stores are still wearing masks right uh, so it, i think it's just going to take time people will 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 have to just get get used to not wearing masks again i guess yeah exactly the, just the, in, the exact the yeah, exact opposite of what for, we had to do yeah. yeah yeah and just in time for the winter cold and flu season to to come and try <laughs> to get worried about COVID again and put the masks back on. I can't wait. I'm, I'm cheering for that day. That just seems so exciting. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah and I heard, um, I, 
I've, I heard two different stories. One was the state of California and one was a county in California, but they lowered their death count by 25% because they finally admitted that some of these people that were counted as COVID deaths were deaths with COVID and not from COVID. And yeah. I guess one of the examples that was given was a car accident where the person tested positive for COVID after the accident <laughs> and they got listed as a COVID death. Um, so, you know, I think as we get deeper into this and as the Fauci emails get more, more press and we start to get more information, I, ha- I have a feeling we're going to start to see those case numbers and death numbers um, drop. Uh, the question is just going to be by how much. Right. And, and what the sentiment will be, it's, um, you know, we know with the consistency principle, once you've gone and, uh, and assign yourself and your belief system to um, a set of ideas, it's very difficult to walk away from them. And the, yeah. the idea that you abandoned an entire year of your life and, and listened to uh, bureaucrats uh, who you can find out potentially were uh, lying to you or weren't weren't honest about the precautionary principle that they were applying in their ideas rather than following the science be very frustrating. It's almost easier just to then, you know, wave with a wave of the hand, just wash it away. So it is going to be interesting to see what, what the data says. Um, Yeah. Yeah. And I think this is a case where, you know, even if Fauci were a hundred percent honest at the time that he said these things, just sort of the way he did it and the explanations he's given after the fact, I think has just destroyed his credibility. Yeah. And so, and that's the big thing we need is we need uh, for something like this, we need to have trust in the institutions that we're looking to for information. And if we can't trust them, then what do we do? Yeah. Yeah. Agreed. Agreed. Uh, But today, we're not even talking about COVID. <laughs> no, no. Well, I'm sure we'll talk about more about Fauci's emails in the future, but, but not I, today. I love, I want to talk about his haircut, his emails, his, uh, his ability to throw a baseball <laughs> yeah. um, and anything we can. But uh, now today, actually, we're, we're, we're tackling headlines again. And the three topics we're going to be talking about today are going to be around migration, voting laws, and inflation, because they seem to be uh, top of the mast on, on any of the papers you're looking at. So we thought we would... Uh, We'd give those a go and give give our perspective. Uh, but before we do that, wherever you're listening to this, thank you so much for tuning in. Uh, we'd love if you could give us some feedback wherever you are. You can find us at mentallyunscripted.com and uh, you can leave some leave us some notes there, a review, any feedback is, is much appreciated. Or if you're on some other platform, if you're on uh, Apple, iTunes, or if you're on um, you know Amazon, wherever you're listening to this podcast, uh, give us a review, give us a thumbs up. We'd love to hear from you. Uh, hear your thoughts on what we're doing right and what we're missing. So with that, let's uh, let's get started. So I think the first one we have here is around migration. And uh, this was a big week. Uh, VP Harris went to Guatemala and um, was there to visit with the president and talk about the existing uh, immigrant issue or migration issue that we're seeing. So, uh, you know, Scott, I haven't really been following this that closely, uh, not because I don't think it's important. I think it's just one of those items that hasn't necessarily been on my radar. Uh, but um, tangentially, I know that there's uh, complaints from border states, and it seems to be somewhat divided between uh, ideology or whether they, they trend blue or they trend red. Some are calling it a migrant crisis at the border uh, where they're seeing huge numbers of uh, people coming across the border. Um, others are calling that a, I, I would say, a, a an exaggeration of what's happening down there, um, and and then um, you know as that conversation continues to go uh, grow, it seems to be that you know the the people on the right are saying, well, we had policies in place from the previous administration uh, that seem to be you know slowing the tide of people coming into the country. And those were reversed when the new administration took over in January, and now we're seeing this this massive influx. Um, and this article, which which I believe is from Fox News, um, obviously you know the bias there already, right? It's it's more on you know right leaning uh, or conservative base that you know who their population is, a people. Uh, and I think Pew polls show that more Republicans and conservatives think that illegal immigration is a threat to um, a way of life. So. You got to take that into consideration when you're reading this article, but uh, I, I don't know. I mean, when I read it, it's like Harris has, has said, "Well, I don't need to go to the border because um, it's a grand gesture; it doesn't actually solve the problem." Instead, I'm going to go to Guatemala and I'm going to talk to the leadership there about the problems, and then now I'm going to announce 
announced about a $4 billion spending um, program to help Central America. And um, it, it, to me, it sort of suggests that they don't really have a solution, right? A lot of the problems that they talk about in there, like there's crime and corruption and, and climate change. That's the problem with Guatemala. Uh, and the Guatemalan president is saying, no, the problem is that you guys invited these people to come up to your border. <laughs> so I, I, that's my take. I'm not sure there's a, there's, you know, kind of a first principles way of looking at this. Um, that would be helpful. But uh, wh- what were your thoughts on reading that and some of the other, you know, uh, stories about it? Um, yeah. First off, I mean, you're right. There, in no way should we expect Fox News to be um, complimentary to the vice president. No. In this, um, you know, as far as first principles goes, I mean, let's ask ourselves, why would someone want to leave their country, uh, the country where they were born and grew up and go to another country? Right. And obviously it's because you think the conditions in that other country are going to be better. Right. So then, you know, we have to get to the question of, well, what, what is the difference? You know, what, yeah. what's the difference in conditions? And, you know, and it's possible um, that you know, climate change and corruption and violence and weak economies uh, are drivers. I mean, you know, the climate change one, I think, I think we're going to be seeing in the next decade or two, everything is going to get blamed on climate change. Every, everything that pops up, every, you know, quote unquote crisis is going to somehow get blamed on climate change in some way or another. And, and, you know, when I was in law school, I did write a paper on climate change and, how it can affect economies. And so when the climate does change, I mean, you can, it, it, it can, you know, change what agricultural products you can grow in certain areas and things like that. I think one of the things I looked at was sugarcane, um, mm-hmm. how um, the climates I think could get too warm for areas that traditionally grew sugarcane to continue growing sugarcane. So these paper, these folks would have to find a different line of business or different economy to get into. Yep. Uh, you know, so I think there's some, if it's true, I think there's some, um, something to that. But the question is, is it true? I mean, she yeah. didn't give us any evidence. Um, so right. until then, you know, I'm going with the, if she's making the claim, the burden is on her to provide the evidence that it's true mm-hmm. until then. Yeah. I'm, I'm not going to believe that climate change is the issue. Right. Um, you know, and so that, you know, if we talk about, you know, getting to the root cause of problems though. So yeah, if the economy in these countries are bad and there's corruption and we want to go in and we want to fix the root cause of it, uh, of this desire to migrate to the U S then going into these countries and helping them out might be a good idea. But when have we ever seen the government actually fix anything? That's yeah. my question. And how much of this, you know, huge package is just going to end up enriching the politicians and the elites in the elites in Central America, how much of it's going to enrich U.S. companies that are being given sweet government contracts mm-hmm. um, to do things, and how much is it going to actually help these countries? I mean, you know, I'm guessing it's pretty little, pretty minimal. I mean, yeah. just our experience in Iraq and Afghanistan and all the money that we've shoveled into those countries, and we've not seen any improvement. What makes us think there's going to be any improvement here? Yeah, you know, it's it's a it's a great question and it's it's always on my mind when i see what you could you could characterize as nation building and i agree the the united states i think it has a better track record of being an example of what can be achieved rather than trying to take that example and force it on other countries uh and it, w- with that you you can enact policies that will require other or incentivize other countries to adopt practices or norms that we feel are preferable. Uh, democracy is a great example. You can say, you know, a simple one would be, listen, we have a hundred million dollars in aid that you can use for these four things. However, here's reforms that you're going to have to set in place. Uh, r- right there, there's some conflicts that I think should be discussed and debated. I mean, w- one of the challenges with this topic is that people seem to assume it's either overly complex, we can never discuss it, or it's so simplistic, we it's it's as simple as, let's just say we have no border, right? Which is a philosophical principle. Um, and, and ironically, if you kind of read through some of the, the adjacent articles to this, there's discussions. I saw one on Newsweek where it said, you know, the people on the left are abandoning the middle class because they no longer want to have a border. Uh, and you, you kind of take Bernie Sanders, who just five, six years ago said that was a Coke proposal. 
Koch brothers, um, you know, which I, I feel like is is the boogeyman of the left, right? The Koch brothers, these evil Koch brothers. Um, they, uh, they they like the idea of not having borders because then they can have cheap labor, right? And so so um, you know the, the argument was well, no, we need we need strong uh, rules at the border to prevent us from being you know over have an overabundance of inexpensive labor that we don't have to pay and drives down labor rates. And um, now now we seem to have this sort of conversation that's like, well, no, because of a humanitarian crisis, then we're, we're not going to have to worry about that. We're going to allow all this this unskilled labor into the country and uh, we'll just have to deal with it later. So I, 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 I yeah, I'm not it's, it's a complex issue. I'll, I'll, I'll give it that. I do think that there's a couple of principles that we can keep in mind. Now, the first one is we are most likely not a nation if we don't have a border. Uh, I, I, I find it hard for anybody to argue the, the counter statement, uh, just because if you have no border and there's nothing to respect then the whole world is your, is your country and nothing is right. So I think that's, that's the first one. And if you have a border, you have an obligation then to, um, to do something with that border, right. Uh, which which then gives you the, the the rights to say who is and isn't allowed to cross that border. So if it doesn't mean that you have to have a stance where everyone's turned away, uh, but I do think then it's the the opposite is also true that you can't just say, well, we're going to abandon our responsibility for maintaining some type of security at the border. And on a practical level, it seems very odd to me that we we don't extrapolate out. You know, you, you go to an office building and you try and walk into the elevator. You don't have a badge. They don't let you in. I mean, and that's that's a that's a security guy who's probably getting paid seven dollars an hour uh, to try and prevent un, you know, unlawful people. Or it's not even unlawful, is right? There's no law that says you can't walk into that building. There is there is a security guard that's that's posted there who's saying no, you're not allowed in. Um, there's reasons that we have these laws in place, right? Or these rules and restrictions to say some people are allowed, some people are not. Uh, it seems odd to me that we don't extrapolate out to to our own borders when it seems to me also that there, there should be some um, very common sense way of looking at borders. It, what am I missing? Yeah, no, I think um, actually what you said is pretty interesting because in your example of the uh, the office building, right? Remember, that's private property. Whereas we view borders as being public property um, under the control of a government. Um, But there's a debate in the libertarian community over whether we should have open borders or not. And Mm -hmm. some of the anarcho-capitalists, they they favor uh, using private property, just like you said, to determine who can cross borders. Mm -hmm. Um, And I don't – I'm not an expert on this argument, but it's basically the the land along the border would be private property and the owners of that property would be able to determine who could come on and who can – who they would allow onto the property and not allow onto mm, the property. Okay. Um, definitely, I like I said, I'm not an expert on that, so there's definitely more to it than than just that. Um, but that's that's pretty interesting when you're comparing, um, you know, access yeah. to an office building to access to a country. Um, yeah. And I think you're right. It, was it Milton Freeman who said like you can't have open borders and a welfare state at the same time? Um, <laughs> Uh, that's so, all something he would say yeah um you know with the idea being if, you, if you've got a welfare state and open borders well people are just going to flood into your country to take advantage of the welfare um and, so and in I, that I case, actually i think it's it's very reasonable assessment for them to do so right the incentives are there for them to take advantage of that right especially think about someone in el salvador or guatemala who has a standard of living a dollar a day three dollars five dollars a day they can increase that standard of living um by two three x uh, with with not a penalty, without you know exacting some other penalty, and 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 being able to move away from other types of penalties that they have in their existing conditions, like um, you know pain of violence, aren't they incented to do that? I mean, it seems oh, yeah, definitely, right? definitely. And you know, if we if we go along with the rule of thumb that increased voter or an increase in the voter base benefits the Democrats, and a restriction in voting benefits the Republicans, then it's in the Democrats' best interest to increase wealth, the welfare state while opening up the borders to get more right. people in, essentially buying votes. Yeah. Um, you know, I've heard some people push back on that to say that that's, it's not actually true that um, a, a larger voter base 
benefits the Democrats, but I think, you know, we're going to talk about the election laws here that, you know, the Democrats sure seem to be pursued for um, moving forward on the assumption that they benefit uh, when they, when more people are allowed to vote. Uh, yeah. So, yeah, um, I, yeah, it, it's, it's hard. It's hard to, when you look at the voting blocks um, and the patterns that you're seeing, I mean, that we're, we're, we don't have an influx of people from Asian countries for obvious reasons. They have to pass, an, uh, you know, cross an ocean. They have other opportunities and other geographies that they can go to if they're looking for immigration. But beyond that, um, they tend to vote more Republican, right? You and you, you, you see that, um, and part of it, I think, is values. Um, you know, just on a um, kind of anecdotal evidence, a lot of the Indians that I know that I've worked with and and studied with and, and met uh, that are entrepreneurial, many of them are much more conservative uh, than than you may expect. And part of that is just the, the culture that they were raised in, sort of the idea of opportunity that they see from from being able to work in the United States. It, it, it seems fairly obvious to me that the the Democrats are gonna, um, you know, and it's one party. That's I I, I don't I. For, first of all, I'm I'm of the opinion that it's it's the elites and non elites, and the elites include both the Democrats and the Republicans that seem to talk as if they have difference of opinion when in fact it's about maintaining a status quo. Uh, and then there's the people that sit outside of it that see maybe parts of one party more aligning to their belief system, but also don't see them as really uh, improving the lives of Americans. And that's, that's sort of how I feel. So I can talk about, and I can with disdain about the the Democrats, mostly because my belief system doesn't really align to them, but it's not as if the, I think the Republicans have done a good job. Um, and, and the best example here is that they failed um, for the last 20 years to put forth meaningful legislation to provide work visas for people, um, to address the fact that we have illegal immigrants in this country that aren't citizens, what to actually do about that. They've never been able to actually pull the trigger um, on on legislation to address it. And they blame the Democrats. I think that's a I think that's a really a a way of just eschewing their their responsibilities. So but yeah. but to bring it back, I, I think you're right. I, I think that the data suggests the people that vote for Democrats are, you know, if I look at Latinos overwhelmingly vote for Democrats. Um, and, and so it would, it would stand a reason that they're going to benefit from, uh, an increase, right. In this yeah. population. Yeah. And, you know, and especially if, if this is the party that's promising you all types of welfare, um, right. then of course you're going to have an incentive to vote for them. Yeah. And the other thing too, is, uh, you know, according to these articles, you know, while Kamala Harris was blaming it on the economy and on climate change, the president of, uh, Guatemala said it's. No, it's the relaxed enforcement at the border of the Biden administration that has encouraged people to come over. And I know um, I've seen some quotes from people who are actually coming over um, who have said that, yeah, that under Trump, they weren't even going to try it. But under Biden yeah. with his policies, you know, now's the time to try it. And apparently there's been an uptick in the activity of the coyotes who were helping the the migrants get across the, uh, the deserts of northern Mexico and into the country. Uh, you know, so it, you know, it, 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 if they're really concerned about the border the way they say they are, it, it, I mean, it seems to me like she's trying to deflect away from yeah. one of the root causes here. Now, it, right. It, I think it's, you know, it's still good to maybe help the people at the, get to the root cause if we right. can, you know, you make the economy in Guatemala better. Um, Whereas, you know, putting down stricter controls at the border, that's that's just treating the symptom. That's not treating the underlying problem. But don't don't make don't loosen your treatment of uh, don't reduce your treatment of the underlying problem and then expect everything to just get better. Right. Um, You know, so and I I don't know if we're ever going to really get a solid answer on really what the the impetus is. It's probably a mixture of the two. Um, But we've definitely heard from some folks who've crossed the border or wanting to cross the border that they would have never tried it under Trump and they're willing to try it now under Biden. And this is actually, as you were talking, a good time to bring up the idea of reversibility. When we look at the migration patterns of people, there's there's those who have come into the country illegally. They have been here for decades. It's it seems fairly obvious to me that it's not a reversible outcome 
or it's not easily reversible that once someone comes into the country legally, you just deport them out once, once, you know, as you say, like the symptoms, like you address the symptoms and now you've gotten back to the root cause that problem continues to grow. So I I think that's something that anyone should keep in mind. The the last point I would make on this is that I I remember years ago, I met uh, with someone who was from the East coast. They were living in Rhode Island and they were very upset with a law. I think Arizona had passed, which was trying to stiffen, border controls and border restrictions. And they were talking about, you know, this is, this is very much against immigrants. And, you know, I asked the question, well, have you spent time in, in these towns in Arizona and New Mexico and Texas, you know, these border towns and sort of seeing what goes on there? And the answer was no, I've never visited those States. And I think that there's a little bit of armchair uh, practice where uh, people just assume the worst in the people that are making these laws, they don't really have a, a clear understanding of the facts on the ground. Uh, and as someone who's, I've actually lived in um, all three of those states and I've spent time around the borders, it's a complex issue. You know, when people talk about coyotes and smuggling, that's not that's not hyperbolic. I mean, those are real issues, and you see that, and you 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 know, you talk to people on the ground, and they they'll tell you about that. Um, and these coyotes, I mean, again, they're incentivized to move people uh, because it makes a living. Right. Um, it, so, so don't, don't just assume, you know, you understand all the facts on the ground. Don't, don't assume that the person who's painting it perfectly terribly is, is being honest necessarily, but you know, we do have a fact pattern here and a lot of the data does suggest that we're seeing an increase in the population. And, you know, the president of Guatemala, he, I guess he, you could say he's deflecting on, on, on perhaps he doesn't want to talk about uh, corruption, uh, they get a pretty bad perception score. I looked that up before this cast, but still, um, yeah. I'm not sure that's changed. It changed much over the last four years. Uh, and then at the same time, we're seeing a, an increase right now in, in migration activity. So. Yeah. Yeah. Don't look at me. Look at Biden. Look over there. You yeah. Know, we all know, poli- <laughs> you know, we all know politicians are good at that. So, yeah, um, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, what you're talking about, kind of the idea, sort of the Hanlon's razor, right? Don't, don't assume maliciousness when, you know, there's other, other explanations are available, you know, wait until you have the evidence before you assume maliciousness. Mm -hmm. Um, And one last thing I was thinking about is, uh, you know, moral hazard comes in here too. Yeah. You know, if we let all these folks in, you you know, we're, we're discussing that opening up the borders and letting the migrants in and encouraging them to come in would help the democratic party by increasing the, the base of voters who would vote for them. But the moral hazard comes in here that, the the folks like Nancy Pelosi, they're not going to have to worry about their neighborhoods getting overrun with with these immigrants, right? Um, they're not going to worry about you know the migrant families moving in next door. So this is a situation where you know the Democrats would they would get all the benefit but not have to bear any of the cost, and, yeah. and that's a definition of a moral hazard there when you know, when you can, when you, when you make out, you benefit from some policy, but then the cost is borne by other people, right? That's a moral hazard. And I can see that happening here too. Um, They would just be happy to let as many people into the country um, to, to increase their power. And with this notion now, this MMT notion of deficits don't matter, they can just keep ramping up the, um, the welfare state to, to pay for these folks. And then, you know, the more money we print, the more inflation there is. And, you know, inflation is a shadow tax that hurts the middle class and the lower mm-hmm. class. You know, so that's just another way that um, they're not going to have to bear the burden that right. the average American or the, the, you know, the middle class and the lower class would have more of a burden. So, you know, just a few things to consider. I, I don't know that there's an answer to this, right? There's going to be arguments on both sides. <laughs> well, if there is, I'm sure. Yeah, we, yeah. yeah, we don't have, and that is actually a great point. It's a spectrum. There is no perfect solution. When someone says right. that there is one, uh, they're being disingenuous because it's a complex issue. Uh, there's, there, yeah. and it's, it's a value-based decision at some point, right? So, yeah, yeah. I think we definitely need immigration, um, because we want to strengthen our own economy. We want to strengthen mm-hmm. our our population. So we want to let good, hardworking, intelligent people in what, you know, whether they're from Guatemala or Japan or China, yeah. right. Yeah. We want to let these people in, but at the same time, we, we don't want to be, you know, just letting well people in who are going to be a drain yeah. on the system. Yeah. So let's, let's, let's also be uh, genuine here. Uh, the, you have Andrew Yang, who had a failed attempt at the presidency, citing data after data after data for a UBI 
type of um, environment. And his argument was that most of the low paying jobs are going to be automated away, right? From truck drivers to cashier uh, people to people that work at malls. And he looked at, he cited, you know, data point after data point after data point. I'm not sure I agreed with um, his conclusions, but I don't think that his data was um, was anything that was overly controversial when you looked at the trends. And when we talk about we can bring people in, I mean, if you're saying, well, we, we've got men and women at the lower rungs of the education ladder and at the um, skill set ladder that are going to be out of jobs through automation, and now they're, we're adding to those roles. Like you talked about Japan. It's, it's, it's different when you bring in people of high skill nature that are creating enterprises uh, that, that, that can grow kind of the, the future, future-proofing an economy, right? That's different from adding to the roles of people that have unskilled um, or, or lower skill. It's not like those people can't learn, but he's, he's identified a problem that's, that's already going to be on our doorstep. So I, I think there's a great discussion to be had of, do we really, can we really absorb a, a higher um, labor or, you know, group of people with, with low skill as, as we start to see almost, you know, not labor shortages, but uh, demand decrease at the lower rungs? Yeah, that's, that's a good point. Um, and the, the automation thing is a, is a really good um, discussion, uh, one that maybe we should do a whole podcast on. Yeah, uh, because there's there's a lot of there's a lot of opinions surrounding the yeah, whole idea are. of automation and and the UBI. So that yeah. might be a nice fun economics uh, podcast to, to do. I I agree. Um, should we move on to voting? Since so much of this is about voting. Yeah, let's let's go ahead and move on. I think we've thoroughly confused everybody about immigration and migration. I hope so. so. That was, the, <laughs> yeah. that was the goal of the podcast. When we say mentally yeah. and scripted, it really just means scramble your brain. Right. Okay. <laughs> so uh, if you're following uh, the amazing amount of productivity on, on Capitol Hill, you may know that the Democrats have put forth a voting rights bill. And honestly, I, I don't even know the exact name of it, um, but it is a bill. And, and from what I, I gleaned from it, again, I'm not, I'm not, um, I haven't read through the bill. I understand it's about 800 pages, and uh, which is I, I don't know on the scale. <laughs> that sounds heavy. That sounds like a lot, a lot, a lot of pages. But the three, three of the things that came out of it that um, that I read were that it would lower the voting age to 16. It makes mail-in voting mandatory across the country, and it drops voter ID laws. and And I, I took those kind of key points. Uh, from uh, just the news website, which which I believe is supposed to be less partisan, um, I'm sure you know someone someone may argue, well, that's not that's not the acts the the you know what the bill would actually do in some some respects, but some of that seems pretty clear cut to me. I know that they they wanted to vote lower the voting age, um, and I know mandatory voting through through mail in ballots has has you know based on the last election has been a major push, and. You know, there's also been a push to to do away with voter ID laws. So, um, you know, we, we had this one article, or it was a it was a video from uh, MSNBC, Hassan, where he says, "Mansion Cinema, aiding and abetting GOP's war on democracy." So, Scott, are they are they you know uh, as he's saying, are they aiding and abetting GOP's war on democracy? Is that what we have to worry about here? <laughs> I, I love this headline. Uh, you know, first, let's just—I mean, this—this this is how they use words to to pull you in and trap you. You know, aiding and abetting; those are terms from criminal law. So they're <laughs> essentially trying to make the GOP sound like crooks, which, yeah. which, which they probably are. But let's be fair. <laughs> yeah. but not for the uh, reasons you think. Yeah. Um, so that—that's interesting. Interesting terminology. Um, and, you know, war on democracy. Well, you know, <laughs> is it really a war on democracy um, or is it just one side trying to put in their form of democracy versus the other side wanting right. their form of democracy? Right. So, right. you know, democracy, it exists on a continuum. Right? Yeah. There's, you know, there's everything from wide open democracy where everyone, you know, from, you know, day olds all the way up to people on their deathbed get to vote. And then there's more restricted forms of democracy where people who are, you know, determined to be of a particular age, a particular status in society or whatever else, you know, um, are allowed to vote. 
so the question is, is what, what's the, the best model we can get to? Yeah. You know, so calling it a war on democracy, I, I think is, is kind of laughable, but of course, you know, that's a, you know, this is on MSNBC. So that's a headline that MSNBC readers are going to love. And it, it confirms their bias, right? Yeah. Yeah. And you know, the idea we said a few times, you know, like panic sells, right. We mm-hmm. saw that during COVID, uh, right. you know, we're going to see that I think coming up with climate change and, and here we are, it's a war on democracy and everything these days has to be a crisis. It has to be some, um, <laughs> some life altering event that right. the reality is whether it happens or doesn't happen, we're probably just going to keep right on going <laughs> and most people aren't even going to notice it. Yeah. Um, so I just, I don't know. I just think that headline is hilarious. You know, it's mansion is yeah. named aiding and abetting GOP's war on democracy. Um, and you know, and let's just, let's try to put the, the partisanship aside, put the, the tribes aside and let's just say, right. If you, if you want a solid democracy, shouldn't you have something in place that makes sure that the people who are participating in that democracy are legally allowed to participate in that democracy? Yeah. Um, so, you know, so just when I look at it from that standpoint and I say, well, you know, a, a voter ID is really nothing that is that outrageous. Yeah. Um, especially considering you need an ID to buy beer, to get on an airplane, to drive a car, um, to open a bank account. I mean, how many things in life do you need an ID for? And just saying yeah. that same ID you use to buy beer, you have to show at the voter at the polls. Right. Yeah. doesn't seem that outrageous to me. So that's, that's, that's contrast this, right? This is the same party uh, that through Dodd-Frank and other bills during, during the 2008 crisis pushed heavily for AML KYC laws, which is anti-money laundering and know your customer laws at banking. Why do I know this? Because I was working at a, one of the top five banks at the time. And I was working with uh, some of the internal operators at that bank to talk about what they had to do to implement those laws. There has been uh, many great questions raised about the value of those laws. Are, are, we, are we doing more harm than creating a benefit? And, and the rationale for this was that those laws are to prevent terrorism and um, mafia, other types of organized crime from using the financial system as a, uh, as a tool uh, to, to profit off of their illegal activity. Now, think, think about that for a minute. And contrast that to what they're saying here when they're saying they don't want to have any voter ID laws. They're, they're concerned with, with money moving, illegal money moving through the financial system to profit. Yet, I would, I would argue there is a far uh, more consequential decision made in voting that would suggest that we need voter ID. We need stricter voter ID laws. If, if you're going to use the same kind of rubric, what is the damage that could be done? Right. So, I mean, go back four years ago and you had questions about whether or not the Russians had had a part in the um, in the election and that pre- the President Trump was voted in by Russians. And I'm thinking to myself, wouldn't that mean that you would need more secure elections, not less? And, and how do you actually argue that we need less um, security around ID? Now, they, they could say, well, we don't actually want an ID. Uh, you can have other forms of identification. And I'm thinking, okay, well, then why is that okay for voting and not okay for, uh, I don't know, opening a bank account? Exactly. Yeah. Or getting on an airplane. I mean, or, yeah. Yeah. I mean, one reason why we have the IDs for for flying is because of 9-11, yeah. right? So that's a safety consideration. Um, yeah. And, uh, you know, the Russia thing, you just you just brought that up and it made me think of something. Like, we were, we were getting bent out of shape because some Russian organization that apparently has some connections to the KGB or the Kremlin or, or whatever, it, it took out some Facebook ads. Well, what would be stopping a bunch of Russians from just coming into the country, especially if we have open borders and yeah. just voting, you know, going around the different districts, voting over and over again for a particular president? You know, how are we going to stop that? Um, so, yeah. Yeah. And, yeah. yeah as, as the, it, you have to yeah. look at the attack surface, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, it's actually growing as you take away these restrictions. Right. So I, I think this is one of those one of those issues where both sides, they want a particular outcome yeah. and they are they're using all types of uh, social justice reasons 
for yeah. wanting for justifying their outcome when the reality is, is they're all just they just want power they want to create a system that is going to give them the best chances yes. of winning in elections absolutely um, and you know we talked about you know it, tying the migration thing to climate change right that that kicks in sort of a, an emotional response well tying voting into to race that's going to kick in an emotional response right and yeah. you know and I, I do agree like we w- we want to make sure that everyone has the equal opportunity to vote Yes, but there's ways we can do that while still having a voter ID law in place. You know, for example, you know, we can make a rule that says on January 1st on an election year, every state must have posted on its website an easy to follow and understand language, you know, something a third grader could understand how to go about getting an ID. Right. Yeah. And the state's not allowed to change that until after the election is over. So you have essentially 10 months to get your ID if you don't have one. Yeah. And, you know, the parties can come in and help people get the IDs if they, you know, I don't know if that'd be a good idea or a bad idea, but I'm, I'm certain that, you know, civic organizations would definitely step up to help make sure that people get these IDs. Um, and, you know, in a lot of states, you don't even need, they'll waive the fee for a non-driving ID if you can't, if you can't afford it. Okay, and, so- and I guess- in most places, these IDs are less than 10 bucks anyway, but even if you can't afford it, they'll just give you one. So- but that right there is why I find this so disingenuous that the, the there's never a push to say, we want a, we want funding to give anybody who's an adult an ID so that they, they can participate in these activities rather than eliminating the, the law or the requirement to provide it. To me, yeah. that, that, that's right there. Like, I mean, I thought about that. I said, you know, voting poll stations, if, if you walk up there and you don't have an ID, but you've got the, again, you need paperwork, right? I mean, you, you, that, that's, that's the way that, uh, that our, our system works. You, you come up with the paperwork, have a, have a van there to be able to, to, to give you an ID at the spot. That, that should be it. And then you can go into the voting booth. Yeah. I, I, you know, it's, it's yeah. like, you know, I, I just, I think that again, if, again, going back to this idea, if you're going to have a border, you're going to be able to say these are people that are allowed in and these are people that are not. And then if you're going to have a country, you're going to say these people are citizens, these are not. Well, how do we identify them? I mean, we're not all going to get tattoos. We, we were on all of the same genetic sequence. We can't, there aren't other ways in which we identify and say you are or are not a citizen. So we create these systems like IDs. Yeah. Well, I, I got the vaccine, so they already know everywhere I go. And everywhere. <laughs> that's right. They're tracking you. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, no, you're absolutely right. Um, and like I said, I think this is just a situation where public notice of how to get the ID of everything that you have to do in order to be eligible to vote. And I don't see why 10 months is you know too long of a period to give people to get an ID um, yeah, is, I agree. is an issue. And, you know, the thing here is we're never going to make it perfectly equal, right? We're no. never going to have we're never going to make it as easy for person A to get an ID as it is for person B, as it is for person C, but we can do a lot to level that. Yes, um, absolutely. And, and like I said, I'm sure civic organizations would be more than happy to jump in to help people um, get their IDs, even if it means, you know, busing some people to the, you know, the county driver's license office to get their state ID or whatever. Um, y- you know, I'm sh- I'm sure we could come up with a way to do it. And it, like I said, it's, it's not going to make anyone, everyone happy. Um, the well, losing party is always going to have a reason to complain. Yeah. And, and, and that, that's what you have to, to make it more reasonable. I think that's the way to frame what, what this discussion is and what this person's mentioning. Right. Uh, I imagine if we went to Fox, we'd see the inverse of this, which is something like, you know, the Democrats are trying to take over the country. Um, I'll be honest. When I look at what they're putting in here, if, if these are in fact true, these are problematic uh, on on all three levels. Uh, the first one about voting, change, lowering the voting age to 16. Why, why would I have a problem with that? Well, it goes back to this concept of are you a citizen or are you not a citizen? And do you have skin in the game? I mean, and, and we had two episodes for those uh, who, are, who are newer listeners or maybe missed the episode. Scott and I actually did two s- separate episodes in which we talked about voting. We talked about how ways in which you could enhance it and improve it with technology, some of the promise and some of the, the vaporware smoke. And, and we realize it's a complex issue. It absolutely is. It's not a, a simple, oh, we can just start using computers. There's a variety of reasons uh, why uh, fully electronifying the 
the voting system can be problematic. And, and just using blockchains doesn't solve that problem because you still have other challenges. Um, but if, if you're interested, we will, we'll include that in the show notes. You can go check out those episodes. But, but having those discussions did make me more aware of some of the considerations that we should have. And one of them absolutely is about the idea of what is it to be a citizen, right? Um, and, and are you competent enough to be making decisions that have the, that, that take into account sort of the moral hazard aspect of it, right? Lowering the age to 16, and that implies that the age enough is a barrier, right? And we, we even talked about on those podcasts, it is, is an age enough or should there be other types of uh, considerations about whether or not you should be allowed to vote? So here's a good example. It's, it's pretty popular if you, if you pull younger people um, and when they talk about taxes, which they don't pay, they're not going to care about lowering or, or increasing them. But they will care about a policy such as climate change. I mean, right now, I, I saw um, a stat that came out of Europe that younger people, I mean, 50, 55% of people in England were more interested in, um, in, in a government, authoritarian government that was going to fight climate change, right? So they don't pay the taxes because they don't have jobs yet that, that pay the taxes, uh, but they're fine to vote on, on policymakers that are willing to enact that. Right, so they they're not impacted necessarily directly by those laws, and so you have that sort of aspect, which I think is is a consideration you should be asking yourself. Now, you could you could argue the 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 counterpoint, which is that well, they're they're impacted by all the all the other laws that are out there. Shouldn't they have a say? Well, then you could. At what point does that stop? At what point do you go further down the line? So, well, a five-year-old is impacted by the laws. I mean, maybe the five-year-old doesn't want to sit in a car seat. Should they be allowed to vote against it? Which, I mean, it's, it's on its face is stupid. It's a dumb question, right? At some point, we have to acknowledge there's a difference between a child or an infant child brain and how they reason and their, their skin in the game relative to society versus the adult. Uh, not to say adults are always right, but you know, there, there is a difference with, with how they're going to process the information. Part of it is just the brain has to mature to a certain level. So. Yeah. Yeah. And maybe it's not age, maybe it's some other factor. Um, you know, whether right. you're 14 or 24, you know, if you can, you know, demonstrate somehow that, you know, you, you do have skin in the game or that you have, um, some baseline of knowledge to where people are, you know, we decide as a, as a society that you are going to make an informed decision, you know, you're 14 and you can demonstrate some basic knowledge of economics and, and foreign policy, you know, I don't know. Yeah. Um, so you you know you're exactly right you know is age is age really a proxy for competence yeah. uh, and and you know and you're exactly right when we were talking earlier about the the democrats benefiting from an enlarged voter base uh, it, younger kids are going to vote more democratic usually i think because uh, they're going to be concerned about things like college tuition and long-term things like climate impact and that's going to favor the Democrats. Yeah. So, you know, again, it, 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 a lot of this is wrapped up in a lot of social justice rhetoric. Mm-hmm. Um, but the question is, is, is that just rhetoric? Do they, or do, is, is this what the politicians are actually fighting for? Right. And, and right. I think, this, and unfortunately this is a, a question where just attaching the race label to it gets, it gets a lot of emotion into the question. Um, yep. So I would, I would really like to see how hard it is for people to get IDs in the various States. I know I've seen a lot of, I've seen a lot of, um, tweets and comments from, from minorities who were like, I didn't have any trouble getting an ID, you know, stop insulting me and telling me I can't figure it out. It was right. Yeah. Yeah. The, the, uh, the racism of low, uh, bigotry of low expectations, I think is is often referred to that. Um, there's a, didn't Biden slip up and say that, you know, minorities can't use the internet or something like that? <laughs> he, he, has, he has made some claims him. that um, are, are grotesque. I, I, I give part of that to him being a papa at this point, right? The guy, <laughs> the guy's <laughs> closer to last yeah. century than this century. Um, I, I, you know, I, I want to be a little charitable sometimes with what he's saying because he is so old and, you yeah, know, I'm sure, I, I'm sure he slips, but yeah, he slips on stuff. I, I, I um, other things I, I, I go, wow, 
You know what? I mean, I'll be charitable, but I think the media should should hunt him down like a you know like a like a rabid wolf. But um, right, yeah, yeah. So old age maybe makes it a little harder for him to find the right words, but I think it also makes the filters get a little deteriorated. Oh yeah, too, the, fil- so. the filters are they're kind of crumbling. <laughs> yeah, so we're getting an unabridged look at what yeah. he really thinks. Well, um, I, you, there, there's a lot of data that suggests this is not. Um, there, there's data, I think I've seen on both sides. Uh, to me, it's a little disingenuous to, you know, if, again, if people really cared about, um, uh, voter ID laws for voting, they should be focused on getting voter ID into people's hands. I, I don't think, I think this is disingenuous for that reason. Uh, if we have an issue where, uh, certain parts of our population are disenfranchised, they're not allowed to get IDs. That's what you attack. Right. Yeah. And as a citizen, you should be, um, you know, there should be a citizen ID that su- that supersedes the government, in my opinion, right? And that's where you know my personal opinion goes to cryptographic signatures, complex stuff that's not ready for prime time. But in the next decade or so, I would love to see that go ahead. That is that is you. That identifies you. That's a that's a global signature that no one can take away from you. And it's not really. It's you know, yes, the government, the U.S. government endorses it, but they can't take that away from you, and, and you can still use that for voting. But again, yeah. that's that's not ready for prime time. But yeah. um, I, I did want to say on this, watching this video, this Hassan person who I've I've seen a few times in different clips, uh, he 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 does a few things that I think are a little sleight of hand. So one of the points he makes is that look at all these Republican-run states that have issued all these different bills. Um, I mean, to, to put in new voter ID restrictions, he doesn't actually go into what those bills actually do pragmatically. He talks about it in terms of volume. So it's a tactic, right? It's, it's like, you know, a little bit like what I said, right? I mean, there's a voter ID law that's 800 pages. That sounds like a lot, right? And what he's right. saying is like, look, there's all these laws out there. That sounds like a lot. But what's the practical implications of it, right? I don't know if in 800 pages, they just wrote, you know, 40 different ways to say lower the voting to 16. I don't, I don't know. Right. It's really big font. So Biden could read it. Yeah. I mean, I, don't you want to know, is it possible to identify a 16 if you're 10? Yeah. Who, who knows? I, I, I mean, don't know. You I mean, maybe and, need, yeah. I don't know. I'm going to, I'm going to start asking a question. So if, if, a, if a Russian walks in and they say, well, I identify as a U.S. citizen, is that sufficient for us to accept their word and they get allowed to vote? Yeah, yes, that's a good question. I mean, it sounds like they're just, you know, I, I don't know. Is it when you walk up to the table, are they going to go, well, who are you going to vote for? You yeah, know? exactly. It's like, oh, no, you're not. You're not a citizen. Yeah. Um, oh, boy. Yeah. Um, yeah. So the, the, the language used around this is is it's definitely, I guess, clickbaity type language. It's language yeah, that's absolutely that's definitely um calculated to to get the get the emotions uh, fired up and short circuit the uh, the rational areas of the brain i think when we're when we're looking at these um i did one thing i wanted to say is one the article here that's on um, just the news yep um, they mentioned that you know joe manchin who is the democrat who is one of the democrats who's going to vote against this um this bill um, it, it, the reason he gave, it, it, and I'm just going to read this direct, it says, I believe that partisan voting legislation will destroy the already weakening binds of our democracy. And for that reason, I will vote, get, vote against the For the People Act. Um, then he added um, that he would fight to seek bipartisan compromise, no matter how difficult, and to develop the political bonds that end divisions and help unite the country we love. Um, I don't know if he really believes that, but yeah. to me... I think that's one of the issues here is this bill, this, you know, for the people act seems to be an attempt to um, shove a particular uh, voting regime down the throats of everyone Mm -hmm. um, without any intent to compromise. And anyone who disagrees with it gets labeled as, you know, aiding and abetting, you know, the war on democracy. Right. Uh, Right. and, And that's, Again, there's something to look out for when you're when you're looking at these news sites and you're listening to the rhetoric from the politicians, right? How are are they being reasonable in their assessment of the situations and the terms that they're using to describe their opponents um, versus the terms that they're using to describe themselves? Right. Uh, so, you know, and again, it, this is definitely a good sentiment, I think, from Joe Manchin. Again, uh, you know, like I said, whether he believes it or not, I don't know, but right. I think if the Democrats, if they were to succeed in getting this passed, I think it would create more divisiveness in the country. 
Mm-hmm. Um, there would be a lot of people who feel like their voices are going to get drowned out. Um, and, and so I, I just don't see how that could be a good thing, you know? So maybe in this, you know, in this situation, compromise is the best place to go. Yeah. And if they can't compromise and come up with a bill, then we just leave things the way they are. Right. Um, which I know some, some historians and folks who study the constitution, and the founding fathers, that was the whole point is they, yeah. wanted, they wanted there to be so many checks and balances that it was hard for government to get things done. So, <laughs> which, which, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm beginning to think that it's, that's by far the most preferred approach to anything else I can imagine. Right. Right. Yeah. Um, so, so uh, yeah, I, I think that's all I have on voting. What have you got? Uh, no, I, I think that's it. Um, really asking better questions about what's in the bill. I think this this sort of political assassination or per, uh, personality assassination is works really well with hyperpartisan people that it confirms their bias that these people are wrong. Uh, and and I think yeah, I mean if you're just not wrong. They are evil. They are raging evil. a war on democracy. Right. Um, so. uh, you need to. Uh, ask yourself, uh, you know, what, what are they trying to, to get out here? Um, so, all right, well, we've, we've got just a couple of minutes left here. Uh, the last topic we want to talk about was inflation. It was an article, uh, from the Washington post, uh, which is package sizes shrink inflation. And, and the sum of it is that, uh, producers are seeing, um, a cost, uh, rise in their, um, their production materials, uh, you know, some as high as 25% just in the last year. And to pass that on, they can either raise the price or they can shrink the package. And that's what they're seeing now. Shrinkflation, right? We're seeing, you know, your, your, um, you know, your one pound is now shrinking down to uh, three quarters of a pound. You're paying the same price. And, uh, you know, I, I found this interesting because there's, it shows the complexity of inflation, right? And it also shows the dilemma that producers are in because if they just raise the prices, people complain. Um, but this is kind of a sneaky way of, of putting in that inflation, don't you think? Oh, yeah. Um, and, and I don't blame them for doing it um, since as consumers, right, we're, what, we're much more sensitive to price than we are to package size. Yeah. Um, so, it, you know, it's probably from a business standpoint, a good idea. And, but... You know, the, th- the thing is, is we, we talked about the CPI a few uh, episodes ago when we talked about inflation. So does the CPI take into account the fact that maybe your bag of potato chips is still a dollar fifty, but it's only three quarters of the size that it was last mm-hmm. month? Right. You know, so this is, I think, just another way that the CPI understates um, the true rate of inflation. And I don't know, maybe, you know, are there any indicators that kind of take into the size and take into consideration how much you actually get for your dollar. Yeah, it's a great, uh, great yeah. question. I, I don't. I, I think the the one that they've uh, talked about is. Um, I, I guess I guess it, that I wouldn't even really consider because you have the 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 McDonald's index right where they they kind of look at what does it cost to have a, a burger globally. Uh, I'm not sure they're actually weighing that out to say are they are actually dropping down the measurements of those burgers globally, um, yeah. or are they just increasing in price? Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, actually, I do. I do see here in the article where they say that um, slim down product sizes are reflected in government inflation data to some extent, hmm. um, but the bureau's ability to weigh items has been limited during the pandemic because of restrictions on in-person data collection. So it sounds like it's up to the Bureau of Labor Statistics to actually go out and look to, at the to, to include it. Yeah. So. I, I think it's it's also hard uh, to. I mean, inflation again another another area where, where we did um, a couple of podcasts. It's a, it's a complex topic, right? I mean, right now we're seeing these spikes, and there's a debate of whether are they a transient or um, or are we going to see them as more of a permanent fixture. It's hard to imagine that the producers in three months time when their input prices have gone down, that they're going to increase the package size uh, and not increase the price. There, there's just always an upward movement towards uh, price increase unless you have sufficient um, competition to bring it down. And you know, in, in terms of preference products like potato chips and Coca-Cola, um, you know, I, I think people either decide just to pay the higher price or they don't consume it. Um, so uh, yeah, I, I don't know that, um, um, 
I, you know, I think it's funny. I think it's something, it, it's one of those areas that what really comes to mind is when people tell you, especially political leaders, right? Well, inflation, it's transitory. Well, we're not really seeing rates of inflation that compare it to the a- Apple iPod or the, or the iBook or whatever the, the latest mm-hmm. a- Apple product yeah. is. And they say, well, that, that's gone down in price and, and you're going consuming stuff. Realize that's what they're talking about. There is a distinction. There is a difference between consumables and non-consumables. Uh, but you're 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 not crazy when you're saying no. Prices are going up because <laughs> they absolutely yeah. are. Yeah, this is one of those times where you know listen to what the government's telling you, but then trust what you see. <laughs> yes, than what exactly. The government is telling you. Um, that's right. So, um, all right. So we're right at an hour. Um, there's yeah. definitely a lot more we can talk about on inflation. Um, so, and this is a topic that I think is going to be around for a long time. So we can probably revisit this, uh, at a later date if you want to. Uh, yeah, I agree. Let's, let's come back to it. And, and actually let's see in three months, if it's really transitory, we're seeing some of these prices going down. Um, yeah. well, they'll just change the definition of transitory probably or change, change the <laughs> definition of price. <laughs> yeah. Right. <laughs> or change the definition of inflation. Oh no. That's right. Yeah, that's right. Well, thanks everyone for joining us today. I uh, hope you got something out of our covering these news topics. Uh, you know, the whole role here is to give you a, a new way of looking at some of these topics and, uh, you know, a new way of discussing them with your friends and family so that if it's on, on your mind, you want to share it, you got a positive and productive way of doing so. So uh, if, if you haven't already, check us out at mentallyunscripted.com, wherever you're listening to the podcast. Uh, give us a thumbs up. Give us your feedback. We'd love to hear from you. And uh, until next time, take care. 